Clap once if you can hear me. Clap twice if you can hear me. So, listeners, we are going to call on you. What movies in the back-to-school vein would you like to listen to and talk about? Any movies from Ferris Bueller to Mean Girls to one of our very favorite movies, High School Musical. Please let us know any of the school-related movies you'd like to talk about. You can let us know on Instagram or Facebook or email us directly at goodfilmhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back to Good Film Hunting, the podcast. This is your producer, Haley, and I wanted to let you know today that this is part two of a two-part series on the Aristocats. If you have not yet listened to part one, I would highly recommend that you go back and start there, as we'll be picking up our conversation right where we left it off. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy the rest of our illuminating conversation with guest Marty Merritt as much as we did. What, what you're talking about kind of brings brings up, you know, one thing when I was trying to put some thoughts together that I did want to mention, and, and before I did the, the plot synopsis, I was saying that I, that, that I was going to quickly run through some of the Disney influences. Oh, please and, do. And, and, I, and, I want, and, and this is just me talking off the cuff. I mean, I don't have sources for this, but... But I think, I think they're pretty clear. Um, and this, kind of like I said with Che Che Bang Bang, and this cannot be emphasized enough. the the big the nine the thousand pound gorilla or elephant in the room about 1960s Disney is Mary Poppins. Right. Period. That influences everything else that Disney does after it, for a long time. Um, and what that gives us is a. It, it 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 brings to suburban American kids the exotic world of pre-World War One Europe, especially Britain. Okay, that's mm. important. Pre-World War One Britain, um, and it brings you know the sort of the realism, but also magic and fantasy part of it too, and it also brings in songs by Richard and Robert Sherman. Yeah. Uh, even even though it's so even though Mary Poppins is not a cartoon, it's definitely uh, set in 1910-ish in Europe, London. In this instance, there are kids who who travel on a journey of discovery and meet unusual people and perhaps have at least some some element of danger. So there's that. Then there is Lady and the Tramp, which is not set in in Europe, but it's set in some unspecified American city, but same time period, you know, around mm-hmm. the turn of the century. And Lady and the Tramp has a pampered, sheltered, pretty young female who is rescued by a streetwise, raffish male. Yeah. Uh, but there are no puppies in that in that instance. But there's certainly an issue with with Lady being um, tossed out of her sheltered home and having to find her way back home with the help of, you know, this rule-breaking man. Um, then we have, and maybe my timing, I might have gotten the sequence of these two slightly off, we have 101 Dalmatians, which brings, brings us to the um, slapstick villains, 
the bumbling slapstick villains. It brings us very much to the juveniles in danger part. Mm. Uh, it takes place in London, kind of. I mean, it's not, maybe not 1910, mm. but it's certainly sort of the sort of the past in the English countryside, maybe the recent past. But uh, uh, you know, it's hard to tell from those cars. Uh, but it's pro- but it's probably uh, you know 1950s ish. And then we yeah. have, uh, um, and and then we have Jungle Book, which hey is again a juvenile in jeopardy, animals. Mm-hmm. The Jungle Book has a rescuer yes. who's raffish, and uh, streetwise, and uh, and there's the monkeys who play jazz. You know, again the sort of the cultural education that the sheltered youth has not seen. So. After having seen all these movies within the course of two or three years, you might well imagine that the Aristocats is more of the same. And I think the French setting, still exotic but still somewhat recognizable, is you know is, is definitely deliberate. Yeah. I think the I think the choice of cats rather than dogs, since there were just two really big dog movies with Lady and the Tramp and uh, and Hern uh, Dalmatians, I think. There hadn't really been a sympathetic cat for a while. Um, yeah, because there was... T- Tigger was still a good little ways away. There was Shere Khan and Bagheera in the Jungle Book, but those one, are... And then there was like the Thomasina one. Shoot, yeah. what was that? The Many Lives of Thomasina cat? Oh, yeah, that was that was in... Uh, that was a it's wonderful world of Disney thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So not too far. But... And, to that, like, so much of the Disney marketing has always been around um, how many side characters can we have and how different can they be because that allows for us to create toys, create mm. lunchboxes, yeah. and we see that grow exponentially. Um, and I think to that point, like, yeah, like, I never associated cat. I think I associate cats with France because of this movie. And I don't Same. know if that would have existed otherwise. Did Disney construct that um, because they wanted to sell cats? Uh, well, sell the idea of concept of cats is very possibly the case. And I hadn't thought of yeah. that before. Well, I think I don't think that they wanted to sell stuffed cats or or or, or Aristocats lunchboxes, although they were probably not opposed to it. I think they were trying to 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 come up with a story that was comfortable and a little bit funny and 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 it would be successful, but they couldn't go back to dogs. You know, they couldn't redo the Jungle Book. They hadn't done anything really big with cats. They hadn't done anything with France. So, hey, let's do 1910 France because we just did 1910 England. And we did 1910 America with Lady and the Tramp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, the Frenchiness of that movie is, is uh, very variable, as you probably noticed. I mean, you, you see quasi-impressionistic backgrounds, which are somewhat static by Disney. Uh, but they sort of take advantage of the impressionistic quality to be somewhat static by Disney, um, by Disney standards. There are some people who have French accents and many people who don't. People mm. meaning characters. You know, Eva Gabor has a Hungarian accent, which we round up to French. You know, <laughs> and of course we have Maurice Chevalier, who is is the epitome. Uh, 
epitome. And uh, him but, setting the stage with that initial song, I think, is crucial. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. I would agree. Yeah, I, I would agree too. I think that's a, a, a that was a wonderful thing, and I think he understood it. He was retired, and and the Sherman Brothers talked him into coming back into the studio to record it. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you know, Edgar is British. The two goofy geese are British. The hound dogs sound like American hound dogs straight out of of Lady and the Tramp, or for that matter, some of the dogs in uh, 101 Dalmatians. Um, the jazz cats, well, they're all over the map. Um, the uh, scat cat was originally supposed to be voiced by Louis Armstrong, but Armstrong was too ill to do it, so they got Scatman Crothers and said, "Try to sound like Louis Armstrong." Kind of like the king in uh, the Jungle Book was Louis Prima, and he sounds like Louis Armstrong. And and you know the the rest of Scat Cat's band, if you don't remember them, I don't blame you, is uh, sort of sort of horribly um, um, stereotypical. Um, there's an English beatnik, and there's a Russian bass player, and there is a Chinese cat who has seven seconds of the most racist thing ever in a Disney movie. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. and I think there's one other who's uh, you know pretty clearly some sort of ethnic. Yes, they're yeah. all they're otherized. Like it's very yeah, exactly yeah much that Duchess and her children are white and like. White and then also like innocent in a way mm-hmm. that we associate yeah. with both like this purity of the color white and also the fact that like we would not consider them like less. And yeah. though Tom Tom O'Malley, it's he almost is pl- like adopting and affecting an accent that is not necessarily um, red white, and then all the people around him, yes, are, they're the ethnic other. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And the, you know, the the whole, you know, vulnerable female needs to be rescued by a strong man thing, uh, which was, you know, pretty prevalent in Disney at this time, is very much on on display there. And a little hard to watch today. Yes. Um, it's true. Don't, don't you know? Don't you worry, darling. I'll take care of you with my magic carpet. You know, we'll be back home before you know it. Um, yeah, that sounds like straight out of the '60s. Like, what is on oh, the magic very, carpet? Very, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, very much so. Right. Oh my gosh, I hadn't thought about that. That's very funny. But the the kittens. I mean. The, the 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 animators, you know, five of the nine old men plus all the young stoners that you have referred to, they did a good job with the cats. I have two cats here, and they did a really good job with feline motion. The, you know, the kittens are appropriately kittenish. You know, the the way they walk, the way they jump, they look like cats. They did a they did a nice job with that. And you and someday you should open Wikipedia and look at what a real white Turkish Angora looks like because they're really pretty, and they have big fluffy tails. Yeah, I really don't like cats. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, don't you do it. Your sister can do it. I know. And I'll tell you what I'm they look so like. I'm so terrible. Here. Please, tell me what they look like. I'm sure that they're really cute. I just, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, but what are you going to do? And I had to say, I had, maybe because I'm older now, I had some real sympathy for Edgar. 
you know, because he he misunderstood the situation and he felt like his you know, his contributions were being uh, neglected, neglected, yeah. and that he was being taken advantage of. Which he was. And it was, yeah. Well, he kind of was, yeah. And he, you know, he, uh, yeah, he didn't like immediately go drown them. I mean, he he couldn't bring himself to kill them. He just wanted them out mm-hmm. of the way. And yes. which I think is why it's valuable, particularly for young audiences. Like we yeah. see the crisis of conscience, and what's yeah with the little kittens like we see each of them misbehave in small ways and we see like sibling joshing we see the sister kind of being like too prissy and annoying and thinking she's better than we see the boys roughhousing and then we see edgar and we see him grapple with issues we know what he wants we we have the sense that he has been slated um so that's why it's 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 very basic but it's very powerful yeah, yeah, and it reminds me of the scene in the in Hundred One Dalmatians when the burglars have been ordered to kill the puppies and they can't do it. I'm not going to do it. You do it. No, I'm not going to do it. So I mean, even though they're the villains, quote unquote, there's air quotes there for your listeners at home. They uh, <laughs> um, still they uh, you know they have a conscience. I mean, they're not you know cold blooded animal killers. And Edgar certainly, certainly isn't. Mm-hmm. Now, he can't yeah. ride a motorcycle in a straight line to save his life. That's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Get another but, form of transportation. Yeah. Uh, a no, uh, yeah. A note about the car. This The one thing that really surprised me, given how stylized the backgrounds are at the beginning, like the, the Belle Epoque house and, and the boulevards and so on, Georges, the, the, uh, the uh, 110-year-old, very spry lawyer shows mm. up in this beautiful, beautifully rendered 1910 vintage sports racing car, which looks very much like a recognizable Grand Prix car of its era. I mean, this would be like yes. you know an old guy with a Corvette. I mean, it's exactly analogous to that, and 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 that car looks like that. It's not just some generic old car. It is very much a sports and racing car from about 1910, um, and and that's kind of a cool choice. Now, Edgar's motorcycle is, looks a little too new for that design. The motorcycles of that day really were bicycles with motors, and his is a little too well rendered. But, okay, there's a, there's a whole bunch of sort of slapstick-style motion that is part of, you know, the whole business with the haystack and the dogs, and that's kind of, you always have a set piece like that in a Disney film where there's a bunch of, or if it's a comedy anyway, where there's a bunch of, weird business going on that sort of, you know, is very physical and has a lot of motion in it and may not really be all that true to life. And uh, and the motorcycle plays into that a lot. And then the, the truck that they, uh, the milk truck that they drive for a mile in before they get busted trying to drink the cream is just a generic sort of stylized truck. So mm. that's, it's not recognizable. I can't look at that and say, Oh, yeah, that's a 1915 Peugeot. Now, in Ratatouille, which we're not talking about, you can do that. Ratatouille, bless them. Those guys, those Disney animators of the of the early 2000s, by golly, they put a bunch of recognizable French cars in that movie. Really? Yeah, yeah. Citroëns and Peugeots and Renaults all over the place in that movie, if you know what to look Oh, for. that's cool. I also love yeah. Ratatouille. We love Ratatouille. Yeah. 
there are so many good Disney movies set in France. Like, they did a lot of Europe stuff, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, but, I mean, but the Aristocats, maybe if you're a kid, you think, oh, this is ooh-la-la, this is French. Yeah. But there's, I mean, it happens to be set in France, but there aren't very many French accents. There's, other than the title song, you know, no one speaks French. There's really not a whole, you know, there's the Eiffel Tower in the background. Right. But it's not a story that has to be French. Right. Like, I feel like Ratatouille at its core is French because yeah. it has to do yes. with, deal with, like, French cuisine and right. and, and that. Yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. Right. Whereas it's not near, like, this is not nearly as French. Yeah. In your face. Yeah. The, no, no. This is, this is 1910 European and, okay, it can be French. That's cool. Right. <laughs> right. If we have uh, to put it somewhere, <laughs> it might as well be French. And another thing, I have, when I was researching this to the extent that I researched it, uh, <laughs> I found that these two writers who are freelancers, but they they seem to work with Disney a lot, named Tom McGowan and Tom Horn, I th- maybe not Horn, but something like that. Anyway, these two writers, I don't know if they approached Disney with this story idea or if Disney went to them and said, we want to do a two-part Wonderful World of Disney live action show about some kittens in danger and somewhere or another someone heard this story about in real 1910 france some real family of kittens was left there was left an inheritance by some eccentric wealthy person now i saw that several places but i saw pretty much the same words all the time so it's Mm. like when you're when you're, you know, trying to find links and you keep finding everything referring back to the same thing. So I don't know if that's, that, that is a, I don't know if that's an urban legend that's supposedly widely known but has no basis in fact. Or maybe I just didn't try hard enough <laughs> to find details about what it was. But supposedly the idea of this actually having happened in Paris in 1910, where this family of cats was left a sizable inheritance for their maintenance by their elderly eccentric owner was a thing and that right. was sort of the concept that the those two writers came up with and it went through several iterations i mean it was basically the idea of kittens in danger and and first seem first if i recall they were going to be in central park in new york and then and then maybe the french idea came together more and then edgar was supposed to have a partner in crime a maid really? named elvira or something to that effect and she was supposed to be sort of a romantic interest but they cut that originally there were going to be four kittens and uh and like they made a lot of choices to cut for time they cut for time they cut for i think they cut to make the story more efficient mm-hmm. um and and they decided that it should be a uh, a, a feature animation walt made that decision uh and and so it's it went into production, but it took a long time to get the story written really the way they wanted it. And the Jungle Book, it was actually green lighted, but the Jungle Book was actually in production at this time. Oh. So the Jungle Book was made, and then and then the Aristocats came out. What maybe maybe a year later at most. So um, so the Jungle, even though the story was in development and the sort of the concepts were in development. And they knew it was something that was going forward. The Jungle Book was taking precedence during 
during the planning. Yeah, during yeah. that period yeah. between 1963 and 1968 or thereabouts. And, uh, um, you know, eventually they settled on a story and, uh, and, and started working on it. And, uh, and, and, but most of the work was done after Walt had died. He mm -hmm. greenlighted it. And then, and then, uh, um, and and then turn them loose. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think like it's one of those things. I the green lighting is so valuable. And one thing I recently read a history of uh, Pixar, and what I loved about that is we don't realize like even before any of the drawing takes place, so much of the story is built up. So. I, yeah. I do in many ways feel like the Walt Disney handprint on this one um, mm. that we won't see moving forward. Like there is like, I deeply enjoy Robin Hood, but there is something different about Robin Hood yeah. than this movie. Um, and if you're interested, Cartoon Network right now, I think has this podcast about draw called drawn the history of animation or the art of animation, which is like a multi-part series, which is really interesting. It and sounds like might be up your alley. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah, I think it's absolutely true that maybe Disney's hand, Walt's handprints are not as prominent on this, but it's certainly there. Yeah. I mean, because he certainly was involved in the earliest part of the story development. Mm -hmm. And the idea, and I think probably the idea for having a mother and a family of kittens that get separated from their home and are in jeopardy, I think that originated with Walt. Yeah. Or at least. Okay. Yeah. So, because we've been, oh my gosh, we're in an hour. What a great time we've been having talking about the Aristocats. Yeah, never, never invite this guy back again. <laughs> no, no, we he, love he, having he, you. I literally. He doesn't know when to shut up. God, no, he loves no, no. to hear I feel like talk. we would need to do like Herbie or something. I have learned so much, <laughs> like not kidding. And that's the dream. That's why we do this, so that we can learn. Um, But... What we should probably start talking about is the legacy of this movie. So what what place does it have in the larger kind of Disney scene? But then also, like, should kids today watch it? Should we make it, you know, like, should it be on something like Netflix or Hulu? Um, should teachers be showing it in classrooms? Like, what's its purpose nowadays? Like, where do we see it working? Um. Yeah, that's right. You ask that question in the other shows that I've listened to. Yes. <laughs> um, well, um, I think I think you're right. I mean, I th I, I think what what uh, what you said before, uh, what uh, um, what Anne said before. Anne is the one who's wearing the green shirt, right? Yeah. No, okay, then that would be Eleanor. What Eleanor said before. Sorry, the reason I'm confused is because it gives your name. Oh yeah, yeah. But it puts it, but oh, but it says Anne. So so you so um the one in Chicago is Anne, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, it says Anne, but your name is is right next to Eleanor. So anyway, <laughs> and we have right. a lot of like people get us mixed up all of the time. Well, anyway, um, Eleanor said that um, it was the last sort of the end of the golden age of Disney animation. Uh, or at least the first golden age of Disney animation. Right. And I completely agree with that. 
it very much has that feel this is the end of an era yeah robin hood is something different pete's dragon and some of the other things that's something yes. different this is of a piece with lady and the tramp and 101 dalmatians and especially the jungle book that's that's i think its significance and i don't really feel like it has a great deal more significance than that Mm. Other than it's kind of the end of an era, and it still kind of holds up fairly well, sort of. Now, would you play it for kids? Absolutely. If you're going to use it as a teaching tool for, you know, outdated gender roles and why you shouldn't do that that way. Oh, totally. And about cultural appropriation and things like that. I think it's worth, I mean, it's entertaining. It's got funny moments. The cats are cute. Um you know, we're a cat household here, so we're happy, you know, we're glad to see them. But I do think you can't you can't show this to kids without saying something about how O'Malley is really a, a character of his time. And in modern life, adult men don't behave that way or shouldn't behave that way. And, and shouldn't count and women shouldn't count on, you know, men to save them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, there would have been an opportunity to give Duchess a whole lot more agency. After all, she's a single mom, she's a grown-up, she has a certain degree of sophistication, even though she's relatively sheltered, mm-hmm. and they didn't do it at all. It's all O'Malley is uh, is uh, rescuing her. Right, is the savior, which yeah. is frustrating, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I... I would show this in my classroom, like thinking about my kids. Um, I think that they would get a little bit bored with it, if I'm being totally honest. Um, They're just like used to so much more and like more vibrant colors today. Like I think that it would be hard for them, but I would show it. And I do think it could be an interesting place to have a conversation um, kind of like what we're having about like the the gender issues in this movie with them. Um, Because I mean, they're... I teach fifth grade and they're 10 and they very much kind of feel a sense of like justice and, and things being fair. And I think that they would kind of get upset about it. Once we talked about it, they'd be like, Oh yeah, she like doesn't have any agency. And like, she's not allowed to choose her own lifestyle, you know? Um, So I think in that sense, it could be a really interesting kind of opening up point for them. Yeah. And I would, I would say for me, um, I think, think this movie has value i wouldn't be but i do get really nervous about the kind of plot line of the savior element of it um and like the class implications inherent in the film what i would say is i do think the musical numbers themselves are so valuable and because i remember aspects of this movie being split only into those scenes i don't think that's a bad way to encounter this film And I would yeah. think that's fine. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there there certainly are several memorable scenes that stick with you. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, for sure. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on our podcast. It is always so fun to make new friends and to, to talk about movies that we haven't talked about in a while. So thank you so, so much. Oh, well, thank you so much for the invitation. I had a great time. As I suspected, this was the best part of the day. And, <laughs> oh, good. Uh, uh, and um, it's, you know, it's great to meet you over the, uh, over the interwebs. 
Right. And uh, had a great time. I've enjoyed listening to the other shows of yours that I've listened to. And uh, thank you for letting me ramble on and blather on. And uh, oh, we'll yeah. have to have you on again. <laughs> yes. No, but I think something like maybe cars even. We haven't oh talked about oh, cars. God. We have oh not God. talked about cars. Cars is my absolute favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we definitely have to do that. Yeah. Um, and then when yeah. you finally okay. make your way to Los Angeles, you'll have to go to Disney's California Adventure because the Cars ride at California Adventure is outstanding. Yeah, I should tell oh, you that my wife. So good. Yeah, you know, my wife and I took our. We got married at Christmas, and we couldn't afford to go anywhere really warm, so we went to Disney World. We neither uh, neither one of us had been to Disney World, so we went to Disney World for our honeymoon. So we saw so Epcot, and uh, we didn't go to California Adventure, of course, but we, you know, Disney has kind of been part of our marriage and family, you know, for a long time. But Cars, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cars was Cars is a movie that was written by people who knew a great deal about Cars, and it is, you know, it is chock full of Easter eggs in every scene. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of things there that, that, in fact, maybe you could even almost say that there's too many things there that gearheads are going to notice that are going to sail past people who aren't part of that culture, because it's a it's a movie that's really full of in jokes. And Cars 3 is actually even more that way. Cars 3 made me weep uncontrollably. Oh, my um, gosh. Okay, so yeah. we definitely have to talk about this movie. Yeah. I almost feel like we would have to do, like, a simultaneous simultaneous screening and then just record, like, live watching the movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you so much, oh, Marty. Sure. Um, all right. Thank you again to all of our listeners. If you contact us, there's a good chance that we will put you on the podcast. Uh, thank, yes. you, thank you to our producer, Haley Bokery. And you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on all the places podcasts are found. Bye, everybody. 